This is a psalm of ascents, which mean, means that um, this is a, a psalm that the Jewish people would sing as they made their way up to Jerusalem to worship Yahweh in the temple. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from Yahweh, or the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. You can take your seats. Father in heaven, I ask in these moments that we have before your holy word, I ask that you would speak through your word in a way that is powerful to the hearts of your people, that they would know that it is indeed God who speaks through the scripture. Um, this is a, an infallible voice. This is a voice above all other voices. This is a voice that is always true. Uh, this is a, a, a voice that, that, that created the world. This is a voice that saved the world. This is a, a voice that died on a cross as the word made flesh. Uh, so Lord, may you grant us this morning um, the grace to hear and encounter you through the word in a way that humbles us, encourages us, changes us, exposes areas of pride and arrogance, and encourages us in the areas of, of frailty and, and difficulty and um, depression. So be in this time, Lord. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. We ask it by the power of your Spirit, who alone can bring the word into our hearts. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, as you could tell from the reading of this particular psalm, uh, I mean, you know, I've read this psalm probably a hundred times, and then the first part of it was made into a song. I lift my eyes up into the mountains. Um, but I probably read it a hundred times, and, and uh, it wasn't until I was in a, in a desperate situation where I just needed, like I needed to hear a truth from the Lord in a way that would hit my heart. And it was in that context of desperation at one point that the Lord kind of peeled back the layer of this psalm to expose for me, I don't know what's happening back there. Let's see if we can do this again. There's a, we've had bugs in the system. I think they're demonic, but... As, uh, see, just hold it right there. Um, where was I? Oh, just to, he, he just... Allow me to see in the psalm like something, like, like a kind of a treasure chest opening up to, to see the power and the beauty of what God is declaring to us in this, in this psalm. Um, in fact, it's become so important to me that I committed it to memory, not because it makes me any more righteous before the Lord, but so that I could take it with me and I could remind myself um, that the Lord is my keeper. You probably noticed as, as you read, if maybe you read on the screen behind me, and if you didn't, maybe in your text, you, you noticed that the word keep in its various forms uh, occurs six times, and it's, it's the same in Hebrew. It's six times, this word keep, shamar. The Lord is your keeper. It's one of those functional titles that, that this psalm gives the Lord. The Lord, Yahweh, is your keeper. He's your shamar. Um, 
one of his functional names that, that's given to us, by which I think we can understand and know that he is, is our, our keeper. One of those words that we use a lot, the word keep, um, it is so rich and yet so misunderstood and unappreciated. Unless you take the time to think through what it means when you're dealing with a child who wants a kitten. Um, if you can imagine my, my daughter coming up to me and, and finding a kitten in the, in the neighborhood and looking me in the face with her green basset hound um, sad eyes and saying, can we keep it, Daddy? Can we keep it, Daddy? And you and I both know, if you're a parent, that that word keep is loaded. <laughs> they just want the kitten for fun. But you're thinking as a parent, implied in that word keep is I am going to have to purchase food for this cat, not just now until the end of its life, or somebody runs it over with a car. I'm sorry, my cat-loving friends out there. Just um, Get one of those you know, claw-scratching little towers so they don't destroy your house. Um, you're going to have to get a collar, probably give it shots. Make sure it's taken care of. Make sure it's loved. That is, you're going to provide for it. That's what it means. Daddy, can we keep the kitty? It's like, that is loaded. And so you know, my daughter has never asked that, not yet, but I'm pretty sure after she hears this message, she will. Daddy, can I keep this? It's hard to say no to her. Um, but that is, uh, that is the, all that word keep, you know, that verb to keep. It implies all of that. It implies um, that, that God's going to care for us by preserving us and protecting us and providing for us. That's what the word keep means. Or it, 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 here's, a, here's another one. This one has caught, caught my attention, and it caught my attention in the Lord of the Rings. Um, and if you saw part two of the trilogy, um, The Two Towers, you'll remember um, that the word keep is used as a noun because, you know, it's this amazing battle. All the good guys are they're, 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 they're seeking refuge in Helm's Deep. It's just like this fortified at the end of the valley kind of a walled castle. And, um, and thousands of Irkai are marching on them, and they manage to breach the walls. And, and the king says, into the keep. I had to look that up. Back in medieval times, the keep was the most impregnable place in a castle or a city where people could seek refuge, especially nobility. It's the one place you could take refuge. And it's like, I was thinking, that's, that, that's implied in the word keep, both English and, and Hebrew, that God is our keep, our place of refuge. You can understand why, why the, the psalm kind of opens up to us. It's reminding us six different ways Yahweh is your keeper. He's the one who holds you. He's the one who cares for you. He is preserving you, protecting you, providing for you. He is your fortress. He's the keep in which you find safety. I was deeply encouraged by, by this uh, text, especially in times when you're confused or you're afraid or you're feeling anxious or you don't know the future, to be reminded what this repeatedly tells you. The Lord is your keeper. Now, it says more than that. It actually is going to go on, and I just want to play around with this a little bit and draw out some of what I think are some amazing things. That is one of the things it shows us is the identity of our keeper, the scope of his keeping in our lives, as well as the focus. That is, who is it that he keeps? The psalm opens up with the identity of our keeper. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? That's the question. He's looking up to the hills. Why? Because that's where the temple is, and the temple was the symbol of God's presence. Looking up to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from one place. My help comes from the Lord, capital L, capital O-R-D, which means my help comes from Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. Who made 
heaven and earth. Now, to feel the full extent of what those last words mean, who made heaven and earth, I think, um, I don't think we'll ever get our head around it, but you've got to take a, a, a walk under a night sky or look through a telescope or contemplate the size of the earth or how much energy is consumed every second by the sun that warms this earth and just realize he made it. That is he, is, he is ascribing to Yahweh ultimate power, ultimate authority, ultimate wisdom. He is our keeper. You know, when we make things, um, we never actually make something from scratch. You know that? Like, you can, you can I, I made garden boxes one time, two book garden boxes, and I thought I was going to die by the time I finished. Um, uh, I took other materials and made garden boxes. There's a 10 by 10 square foot of place in my backyard. My wife wanted garden boxes. So I dug up a foot of topsoil, um, got blisters, and I ran um, sprinkler lines. And then I had um, rock and new soil and ginger rock brought in and wheelbarrow by wheelbarrow brought it into this 10 by 10 square. I don't remember how long it took. I think probably a couple of weeks. By the time I was done, um, I was completely exhausted. My back didn't recover for two months, and I was covered in blisters. And it's just a little 10 by 10 uh, little piece of ground. Um, I can look at it and say, wow, I made that. I didn't make any of the materials. I just rearranged them at expense of my own back. And, um, and I just, you know, they say that there's uh, almost 60 million square miles of earth, not counting what's covered with water. He made it. My mind was 10 foot by 10 foot. His is 60 million square miles. And he planted it with original from scratch trees and animals and bugs and all of those things. And he, he made it from scratch. That, the, 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 the power and wisdom required of that making of heaven and earth is unbelievable. Absolutely staggeringly unbelievable. And he did so not with lips. That is, God doesn't have physical lips and he doesn't have physical hands. He doesn't push a wheelbarrow. The power is seen simply in the fact that he willed it to be so. And poof, it was here. Willed it to be so and poof, it was here. That's, that's power. And it's, it's wisdom. Because he made it from scratch out of nothing and it had this complex, beautiful, amazing, majestic design to it. And you know what? He didn't have to brainstorm about it. He didn't have to seek consultation outside of himself to create all of the wonderful, beautiful things that we find here. I mean, can you imagine the Lord going, Gabriel, I'm having a bit of a creative block. I need something between a sheep and a horse, and I I just can't do it. Llama, maybe? That's, he didn't need that. Any of that stuff is just like Boom, it's here. Instantaneous brilliance, spontaneously spinning everything into existence. That's power, that's wisdom that you just can't get your head around. And it opens up by saying, that one is your keeper. You don't get any higher, more powerful, or more wise than that. That is his identity. Yahweh is our keeper. Never forget that he is. Not Uncle Sam. Not your... CEO of your business, ladies, not even your husband, Yahweh, who made heaven and earth, he keeps you.
That's the opening part. Then he goes on to give us kind of the scope of his keeping work in our lives. And I'm just going to summarize these things because it's, there's a lot. It's like, in verse 3, he keeps us from failing, or falling, I should say. Falling, that is, quote, he will not let your foot be moved. In other words, he won't let you slip, like, like on the edge of a cliff. He won't let you be moved or slip and fall. Um, he keeps us from harm. That is, the sun shall not strike you uh, by day or the moon by night. That is, not even the destructive powers of a, of a fallen creation can hurt you because God is your keeper. Um, that God keeps us from evil. It says the Lord, that is Yahweh, will keep you from all evil. Verse 7, that Yahweh keeps us from death. I think that's the reverse of what's said in verse 7, the latter part. He will keep your life. Not going to let you perish. Uh, verse 8, he keeps us. Uh, in our daily activities, our going out and our coming in, that's, that's everything in between. When you go to the grocery store and come back to the grocery store, he's right there keeping you. You commute to San Francisco and back, he's right there in your, whatever you drive, Nissan, there with you there and back, he's watching over you. He keeps your going out and your coming in. When you get on an, in an, on an airplane, you're sitting on the tarmac, and you're waiting to take off, and that usually is the time when I really, really pray this psalm. It's like, Lord, you promised that you would keep my going up and my coming down. Hold up this Boeing 737. He promises to keep us, our going out and our coming in. That is to say, just kind of putting these together, his keeping work is exhaustive. There's no peace of life. Even when a, a believer wanders, the Lord is still there keeping us. It's exhaustive. But there's also in this, this, this psalm the, his, uh, his work within time. Like, okay, it's exhaustive in its scope, but, but he says that... Um, that Yahweh never slumbers or sleeps. That means he's constantly attentive. This, that, uh, I, as a father, I, I can't do that. I have to sleep. I have to slumber. And there's times when my, I can't have watchful eyes over my kids. Have you ever lost your kid in a disorder? <laughs> Thanks for raising your hand because I would have felt horrible if, if nobody did. Um, no, we, one of our children who should remain nameless is a runner. And, um, you know, look for one second and next thing you know, He's not there. That pretty much gives him away. It's a runner. Next thing you know, you're going through the store. I was looking for him. Well, for one brief moment, you take your eyes off, and boom, he's gone. He never slumbers and never sleeps, which means his eye is constantly, constantly ever-present on you. And not just for this life, but verse 8, it says, um, from this time forth and forevermore. That's eternal. His, his keeping of us is eternal. The point being... For us, that his keeping work in our lives is, is exhaustive, it's constant, and it's eternal. Who is he? He's Yahweh, who made the heavens and the earth. How, how, how wide is the scope of his, his keeping activity and love in our lives? Well, it's, it's exhaustive, it's constant, and it's eternal. Now, if you're reflecting on life right now, or you're thinking through other scriptures, my guess is that you have a, an objection, because I, I did to this. Okay, so, he will keep us, he will be our shade on our right hand, and the sun will not strike us by day, nor the moon by night. 
I'm pretty sure most of us in here have been struck by the sun a few times, and some of us, some of us have scars to prove it from skin cancer removals. Um, that is, in what way does the Lord keep us from, from the destructive powers of a fallen creation like tsunamis or earthquakes? Believers die in those all the time. So what does it mean that he keeps us? Or the other one, keeps us from all evil. What does that mean? And we just got done, what, seven months ago, studying the life of King David? That's a lot of evil in his life. Like, he had a real bout with the whole thing with Bathsheba and the, the civil war that followed. It's like, in what way does Yahweh keep us from all evil? Like, we're touched by it every day, both by our own and other people's in our life. What does it mean that he'll keep us from all evil? Or that he'll keep us... Uh, he'll keep our life, or the opposite, he'll keep us from death. I mean, I just said goodbye to two people last week, and a third one two days ago. Two of them I know for sure to be believers. Like, in what sense does he keep our lives? Or, I will keep your going out and your coming in. There are planes that drop from the sky, and that's not a comforting thing. Even when you pray this, recognize, well, <laughs> other believers have died, and in, uh, in plane wrecks, Keith Green, <laughs> Rich Mullins, right? <laughs> that, what does it mean? How does it square with life? That's a, that's a question that I think we have to honestly ask of the text. And, and here's the way I think it can be reconciled. And I, I hope you hear this part because it's very important. I believe that the keeping activity that is spoken of here has to do with finality and purpose. Finality and purpose. That is, this is viewing life from eternal perspective. So, let me kind of go back and retrace my steps for a second. When it says that he will keep our foot from being moved, that is, we won't fall, that doesn't mean that we're not going to stumble and fall. What it means is we're not going to stumble and fall finally. And for the person who the Lord keeps, there will always be restoration. There will always be a bringing back. There will always be a reconciling, a reconciling because the falling will not have the last word. God's faithfulness will. Or to say that there are believers who who have lost their lives in floods and fires and, and um, earthquakes. What it's saying is that those things do not have the final word. God's grace is life Do When he says that he will preserve our life, that doesn't mean we won't die. It means that death is not the final word. Resurrection is. That is, in the ultimate sense, God always keeps his people. Always keeps his people. But it also has, I think, to do with... By the way, Jesus taught this same idea. John chapter 6, verse 39, he said this. He said, this is the will of my Father who sent me. That I lose none of all those he has given to me. The opposite of keeping is losing that I won't lose. It's God's will for the Son to not lose 
any of all that he's given but to raise them on the last day. It's the final word that matters. And he's, he's, it's, it's, the, the, it's the son's obedient submission to the father to actually hold every one of us. And to make sure death doesn't have the final word but to raise us to life. That's Jesus keeping us by his hand. Every one and not lose a single person. So I think finality is one way of looking at it or reconciling. And I also think it has to do with God's good and providential purposes in our lives. What I mean by that is that God is so passionate and so meticulous about our path of life and keeping us that when he allows or designs difficulty or pain or earthquakes or loss to enter into our lives, it's always because he has a loving purpose in those things. There is no malicious act on the part of God towards his people ever. He's always good. Um, And at times allows us to experience those even failures to teach us deeper lessons of life. And we do that with our kids. I do it with mine. I've had another one of my kids, who shall remain nameless again, um, who decided he wanted to take his Xbox apart because... uh, because something wasn't quite functioning correctly. And I, as his dad, I thought, and I told him, I said, if you take that thing apart, it's going to be like Humpty Dumpty. You ain't getting it back together again. And uh, he insisted, no, I can do it. I took it apart. I was right. Not all the king's horses, all the king's men can put that Xbox back together again. <laughs> and you know what? I allowed him to lose that thing to teach him a deeper level, le- lesson of humility. God does that with us. You know, our, 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 deepest, our deepest enemy is our own pride, and, um, and he will allow those things into our life to break us of those very things that make us so unlike him. So you see, he, he, like even in the negative things, he's keeping us. And I think in that way, we can reconcile that this is, this is always true, that even when you're going through that, that the Lord's keeping you. He's, he's doing things in your life that you couldn't experience or know or learn or be formed by in any other way when we trust him. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord, Yahweh, is your keeper. So his identity, you see the kind of the scope of his, uh, of his work, which is exhaustive, constant, and eternal. And one final thing I, I think it's worth bringing out, um, and it has to do with the focus of his work in our lives. The focus of his work in our lives. Um, And by that, I mean, like, who does he act this way towards? Who? Now, on the one hand, um, this is is that the psalm is addressed to the people of Israel. I mean, they're mentioned by name. Behold, um, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Those are God's chosen covenant people. Those are the ones that he made promises to. He redeemed out of Egypt. You remember, he brought them out of slavery, and he made an agreement with them out in, in, in the desert. And he said he would do these things for them and bless them if they would obey him. That is, he forged this covenant with them. His covenant people, his, the ones he's bound himself to. Now, from the Bible perspective, the big picture, that covenant was good, but it was insufficient because it didn't deal with human sin 
or the hardness of the human heart. So it looked forward to a time in which God would establish a new covenant, and on that covenant, or in that covenant, a brand new community, or a reconstituted community. And that greater covenant was built on, rooted in the blood of Jesus that atoned for sin and allowed the Spirit to come into the lives of his people to change our hearts, or at least to begin the process of change. And to build on the blood of his Son a, a community of people made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And everybody who trusts in the sufficiency of that work that Jesus did enough for me, that I don't have to add anything to it, it's completely 100% sufficient, we become, by nature of that faith in what God did through Jesus, we become the covenant people of God, or the church. So in one sense, we can apply this in the general sense that we're a part of a community of people that God promises to keep, a flock that God promises to keep, and says the gates of hell will not prevail against my people because I keep them as a group. That's why I don't ever think the church will ever disappear. It might change with culture. It might go underground in house churches at some points. It might build cathedral at other points. But nobody can terminate the church because it's God's people, his covenant people that he loves. He will keep, keep them exhaustively, constantly, and eternally. And we're part of that family. But the psalm also flips from general to singular. When you read the word you in there, and it's, it's not apparent unless you're reading the King James, because King James is the only one that makes a difference between singular and plural in the second person. Ye, for plural. Thy, or thou, for singular. He re- relates it to the in- individual. He says, the Lord will keep you singular from all evil. He says, he will preserve your singular life. He will watch your singular going out and your coming in. It goes down beyond just the group to you and to me by name. Individuals the Lord cares for this way. It's one thing to be in a big group. It's another to know he keeps you by name. That it's individualized. And each of us on our particular journey who have come to faith in Christ, he has promised to keep us this way. That means on whatever path you're on right now, with its joys and its sorrows, its disappointments and its delights, that's your journey and he is 100% involved in keeping you every step of the way. That's the focus of this, this keeping work. You know, this is the identity Yahweh who made heaven and earth. The scope of his keeping in our lives is exhaustive, constant, and eternal. And who is it that receives this? It's not just the group who have come to trust in Jesus. It's you. Now that truth, if the Holy Spirit should sow in his grace to help your heart believe, then you will find rest for your souls. And so will I. If the Holy Spirit takes the truth of what was just presented in this psalm, then you will find peace and rest for your souls. I think a lot of us, I include myself here, are anxious about a lot of things that we don't need to be anxious about if we will trust 
that Yahweh is our keeper. The first child, firstborn child, and I don't know if any of you other fathers can relate to this, is always the scariest. Uh, my firstborn son um, was born in Lake Forest, Chicago. And, um, you know, it was like 10 o'clock at night that I went to the hospital, and I think I did more, way too fast. I don't know what I was thinking. It took 10 hours for him to come. Um, but you get there, and, and they, you know, deliver the baby and happiness. And, you know, I just, in that moment, you feel, wow, this is great. And, and the hospital assumes a responsibility for taking care of that kid. Like, they, the nurses took the baby, and they did all these tests. And they're the ones who changed his diaper and gave me one lesson on how to, how to change a diaper. And, uh, and then, you know, swaddled him, gave it to mom, and then would come in and take her away. And get this, even uh, in that particular hospital, they came and said, hey, we're going to feed you. What do you want, filet mignon, or do you want lobster tail? I'm like, wow, now this is a hospital, right? I don't get that treatment here. And, um, and then we spent the night that night. And I just remember so excited. Here's a baby. And, and, uh, and there's just a sense of joy, you know? Oh, that's because I knew at that moment that the hospital was bearing the shoulder of caring for that baby as mom and, and us as a family. But the next day when we did the whole checkout thing, there's like this black cloud that started to come towards me. And uh, I had the baby in a car carrier, sound asleep. And I'm walking out of the door of the hospital, and I'm like, is this legal? <laughs> I, I don't have a degree in baby caring for. I, I just, you know, I had one lesson how to do a diaper. And, and there's just this realization, there's this little human life that has been passed off to me. I didn't have to take a test or an exam to do it, to show myself as even competent to do it. So here's this little precious human life, totally asleep, asleep because, um, well, ignorantly, just thinking everything is good. Meanwhile, there's, just, there's this shift of, wow, I am now the keeper of this child. I am the guardian, legal guardian. I got 18 years with this guy. I got to feed him. I got to clothe him. I got to make sure he has shelter over his head. We got to watch over his education. I got to train him. I got to discipline him. And just all of a sudden, walking out of those doors where someone else had the responsibility or shouldered the burden of caring for that child, I then felt this massive weight. And there's a lot of you in here that feel that massive weight, not just for your children, but for your jobs, your employees, and you feel the weight of the world pressing down on your shoulders. And you feel responsible for keeping everybody watching over them. Now, God does give us responsibility, but he doesn't want us to shoulder the burden of it. He wants us to cast it upon him. And you know, when we allow, by faith, him to bear the burden, it changes things. I mean, do you know that when God chose you to be a son or daughter, and I wholeheartedly believe he chose. When he chose you to be a son or daughter, he willingly chose to bear the full burden of responsibility for your soul. Like this, my kid. He took upon himself, like leave me leaving the hospital, he said, no, I will shoulder the burden of feeding you, of caring for you, preserving you, disciplining you, raising you, training you, shouldering the burden of actually coming and, and 
taking your shame and your sin and cleansing you. He chose to bear the burden of all of that as, as your keeper. And he does. It's our lack of belief that he does that puts us in a difficult place. It's our lack of belief that he has shouldered the burden of it all. And that one day he will call us by name and he will make sure that death doesn't have the final word. And he'll say, Dan, Pete, Shirley, come forth. You can rest in that. You really can't. The Bible tells us over and over again, we don't have to bear that huge weight. He says, I'm the one who chose to make you my son or daughter. Let me bear the weight and just act in responsible faith, trusting in me. And I think there's some in here that just need to, to, to have that shift and be reminded that, that, that God has commanded us, cast your burdens upon me. I am your keeper. I made the heavens and the earth. I, I, I will take care of you exhaustively, constantly, and eternally. And I know you not just as a group, but I know you as an individual. Trust that I keep you. And allow the burden of what you're, you're carrying to be shifted by faith to him. He'll take care of you. Amen? You can see why this particular psalm was just... It's just helpful and to be reminded of it. You have to remind yourself of this, church, every day. He's keeper, savior, refuge. He's my keep. So that we don't flip out in some kind of fearful um, fit of anxiety. Because we've lost sight of the fact that he's promised to keep us. Father, may that be... uh, a truth that your Holy Spirit in um, this day and this coming week and in the future, may it take root in our hearts and help us to live with the confidence and the courage and the, um, the joy of knowing that you're with us. Not just with us, you are our keeper. So help us to trust that, Lord, each day in our going and our coming. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.